Ministry can be exhausting. Um, I don't know if uh, any of you have experienced just when I say that, I don't mean just like, hey, you're a pastor, that's the only people who minister. No, I mean ministry to your kids can be exhausting. Ministry at work and serving just people in generally in general can be exhausting. Uh, I was a student pastor for, for several years, and I would take students to camp. And one year, I took these students to camp, and there was just one issue. I'll leave out all the details for you. You can talk to me privately for some of those details but, uh, if you'd like. But basically, I w- we took these, these, a bunch of kids, a bunch of students to camp, and it was just miser- it was miserable. I-, I would love to say it was, you know, it's camp. It should have been great. It might have been great for them. It was just really hard for me. There was just one thing after the other. I mean, it was hospital visits. There was broken arms. There was kids getting kicked out. They were like, they were treating other people poorly. And so I had to like send them home. I mean, it was just a disaster of a week. And I remember, I remember, Amanda will remember this. I came home and I remember just getting off the bus because Amanda, we had had children. They were still young. I think maybe it's Colson or Levi, maybe just had Levi not too long before. And so she didn't go with me on that trip. And so I just remember coming home and like just the way she describes it, I just like fell into her arms. I'm like, what a week. This has been a disaster of a week. I thought it was going to be great. You know, it's like camp. All right, I can relax a little bit. There's going to be counselors. I can study. I can enjoy my time with the kids and interacting and stuff. But instead, it just became one obstacle or one thing after the other. And if you've ever experienced any kind of serving, maybe just in general, maybe have you ever felt where you're just like exhausted from work? You have, you have pushed yourself to the mentally, the, the most mental possible state for you. You've worked hard. You've been studying, thinking, applying yourself, whether you're a student working hard to study and prepare for a test or whatever it is. And eventually you kind of sometimes get to that breaking point where you're like, I can't think or process anymore. I just need a break. Anybody else been there besides just me or, and my wife? I know my wife's been there too, so at least the two of us and a few others. But if you've ever been there, you know what it's like. You're just like, get me away from people. <laughs> like, if, like Amanda sometimes, you know, with the kids, it's been a long, long, exhausting day. It's like, all right, Eric, it is your turn to take over. It's like a little, hand, a little passing of the baton uh, in the home. Or maybe with the work, you've just been pushing for this deadline and you've been working really, really hard and, and pushing and pushing yourself to the very end of your abilities and strength. And you just need a break. I think we all can be there, you know, especially when you plan that vacation and it's coming. It's like this thing in the distance and you just cannot wait. I can't imagine what's going through the disciples' heads through these few months and now maybe even a year's worth of ministry. As they have been serving and serving, they've been watching as Jesus is, has just been healing people. He's teaching out in the wilderness. And, and listen, they're living on the, on the bare essentials. Uh, they're not living with much. They don't have a lot to eat. They're kind of dependent on people and the, and the environment and where they go from town to town. And they're traveling. And if you've ever just traveled for a bit, you know, it's just like naturally you just want to get home, your own bed, your own pillow, all those things are what you're longing for. And if you remember, if you look at the passage this morning in Mark 6, verse 30, it tells the apostles had returned. And we looked at this last week. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Because remember, Jesus had just sent them on this mission, and they're going, and they're sharing, this, they're sharing news of the kingdom. They're calling people to repent and believe in the gospel. And they're going from village to village, and these, all these by two by two, these disciples. And they've, they've been traveling, and right, they probably just want to get home. 
They want to get to rest. They want to enjoy their time again and just talk. Let's just sit by the campfire and let's share stories about what God has done on our journey. But let's, let's eat some good food. Let's just sit back and relax and let's talk. And that's exactly what's probably on their mind and even Jesus' mind. Notice what it says in verse 31. Nate read this a second ago. And he said to them, to his disciples, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Aren't those great words for anybody who's like, you know what, I just need a break for a bit. Like these are the words you want to hear Jesus say. Come away. Come away with me. Come, let's, let's, let's get away to a desolate place and let's just rest a while. I, I, I think that is such a, a wonderful word from the Lord is to here's this invitation to let's, let's go away to a desolate place and rest a while. Because it tells us why. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Like, they, have no, they don't even have breaks to eat food. They're so exhausted from ministry. And so Jesus invites them to rest. And I think that's something that we see. There, one aspect of all of our lives is we have this need for rest. Uh, maybe you, you know, eventually, I know for me, usually if like Sunday is coming, and, and so each week the, the preparation and the weightiness of preaching God's Word, of declaring the truths of God and trying to do that accurately in, Christ, in a Christ-honoring way and applicable and helpful for each of us and encouraging to my heart, there's a weight with that that you carry. And I know usually on Sunday afternoon, like eventually about three o'clock or something, my body just begins to, like my eyelids do not want to stay awake very much longer. And then I put some golf on and all of a sudden I'm, I'm a goner. <laughs> And, 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 and what happens, though, is sometimes, you know, busyness or, or different things happen, and, and like maybe I don't rest very much on Sunday, and so things go on and some stuff happens. But usually by, by Monday evening, it's like, all right, the, like I, I went back to work, you know, get back into work mode on Monday, and then by the evening, you're just, I'm just zapped. I can't, I, I can't help but think that's exactly what these men are thinking we just need a break. And Jesus, this is like, this is like you're, you're like ringing my ears with this. This is beautiful. This is like, this is exactly what I want to hear. I want a break from ministry. This has been great. It's been glorious. We've seen amazing things, but let's, let's just pause for a bit because there is this need for rest. But what's so interesting about this passage of Scripture is that Jesus is the one who says these things. Come away to a desolate place. But notice what it says in verse 32, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. They're like, sweet, some just alone time with Jesus. We can get the crowds away for a bit. We can just relax. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Have you ever had your alone time interrupted? <laughs> you had those before? If you have young kids, it happens frequently. Uh, if you work in an environment, maybe you got a cubicle there and you're working at your cubicle and someone kind of just keeps interrupting, keeps interrupting. Keeps, and you're like, I'm trying to get some work done here. Can you just leave me alone? Like I, you're putting the headphones in, you're trying to put the blinders up, whatever. You're trying to get into the car. You're just hiding and you're like, someone knocks on the door and they find you. <laughs> you're like, no, how did they find me here? This is my secret place. Uh, and so here they are, they're, they're, the people get ahead of them. They find word that Jesus and the disciples are headed somewhere and they're like running on foot. I mean, think of this. The fame of Jesus is rising rapidly in and around Galilee and the surrounding areas here in Israel. 
And Jesus has invited them to come away by yourselves to a desolate place and find rest. And there, there is this need for rest that we each have. But what I want you to see as we look at this next section is, I want you to see what happens, though, with the compassion of Jesus. You see, Jesus, yes, he has compassion for the disciples, but he's always teaching the disciples. Jesus knows I have three years with these men. I got to teach them. I got to train them. I've got to develop them. I got to show them the way. And they're going to they're going to be this torchbearers through the church age as Acts happens after he dies on the cross and is risen from the dead and the church is born as we were singing about with King of Kings. He knows these things, but it still doesn't quite make sense to us as we read it because here it is. They're now trying to get to their desolate place, but the people hear it. And notice verse 34. When he went ashore, Jesus, he saw, Jesus saw a great crowd. He looks at the crowd. He knows what the disciples need. He knows probably even what he needs. We're going to see he does get away alone with the Lord early in the morning to talk to the Father in prayer. We see it oftentimes after a lot of heavy ministry burdens. But here he looks at the crowd and he begins to see them and he sees them. He looks out and what does he recognize? What What does he see and what does he feel? And he had compassion on them. Why? Why does he have compassion? Why, what does he see in these people that leads him to have this sense of, 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 of hurt and sadness, but also a great love to, to fix the problem? You ever experienced that with, if you have children, you see and you start to feel that compassion, or you in a relationship with someone, you see them hurting, or you see someone who's hurting, and there's something inside of you that feels sorry for them. You, you, you hurt with them. You feel the pain. The, the, the word compassion this in the Greek is like, it's like this deep-seated. It's within your gut area. It's this deep sense of, of hurt and sadness and sorrow, but also a wanting to do something about it. And Jesus looks on it with compassion. And why does he look on the crowd in this way? Because, what does it say here? Because they were like sheep without shepherd. I think most of us understand sheep a little bit. Maybe we're not farmers. I don't think any of us are in farmers in here this morning. Um, maybe you are, and it's a secret farmer. I don't know, but, um, but uh, I know that we don't have any sheep, but maybe some of you have goats. I'm not sure, but um, I think most of us understand the stories about sheep, that sheep are not the brightest, uh, not tools in the shed, but something in the barn, I guess, animal in the barn. Um, Sheep, they they need, they desperately need a shepherd. They need someone to lead them, specifically lead them to food. (laughs) Like, you don't need to lead me to food, I will find it, don't worry about it. But sheep, they need to be led to food. And how are they going to be led to food? They're going to be led by someone who's going to guide them and lead them. Now, I want you to see this, they're in a desolate place. They're in kind of a picture of the wilderness, we see this in the ministry of, in the life of Jesus. We see it mirrored in the Old Testament over and over again. The pictures of Jesus and Moses and Moses in the wilderness and the people of God in the wilderness, the Israelites. And there's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of layers to this story. Uh, this story from Mark, though, is, is very concise. Like I've been saying about Mark, Mark gets to the point. And even in Mark's description of this story, he leaves out a huge chunk of teaching of Jesus this day. 
you want to hear the teaching of Jesus on this day and on this story, it's in John chapter 6. And it's the teaching of Jesus when he says, I am the good shepherd. And he also says, I am the bread of life that we're going to look at in a second. But Mark has a different focus. It's almost as if Mark has a focus on the disciples through this story and a lesson to learn through the ministry of the disciples. But here we still see Jesus' compassion. He looks on the crowd and he has this compassion and he looks on them with this deep concern and sorrow and hurt for these people knowing that they look like sheep without a shepherd. So what is a good shepherd going to do with these people as sheep? He sees them as lost. They're lost. They're dead in their sins. They're looking for hope, but they're wandering around aimlessly trying to find it. They need a shepherd to guide them to the living water and to the bread of life. So what will Jesus do? How would he accomplish what they need as a shepherd to them? What it tells us, he began to teach. I want you to see this throughout the Gospels. And as we've been seeing it in Mark, Jesus, the, pre, the, the primary purpose of his ministry was teaching. He healed diseases. I'm going to talk about the healing ministry of Jesus. I'm going to talk about those things here in just a second and the miracles in a second. But I want you to see the priority was always on teaching. He is teaching the people. They need to hear. How are they going to know the, the truth without a teacher? As Romans and Paul tells us, how are they going to hear the gospel if someone doesn't, aren't sent, if someone doesn't go? How are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to hear these things and know these things and believe in these things without someone to communicate these things? And so Jesus began to teach, but Mark doesn't tell us all the things that he's saying because his focus is a little different than John's focus in John chapter 6. But Jesus began to teach. We see this compassion of Jesus. He looks on the crowd. His heart is moved by their needs. And as this good shepherd, he guides and feeds the flock and he's looking at them. And what, is, what do they need to be fed with? They don't need food. We're going to see that they think they need food and they're going to even get food. We've already read the story. But he sees deeper. He knows their deeper needs. He knows that they need more than just, even the disciples, they need more than just rest physically. They need spiritual rest and they need spiritual nourishment and that nourishment is going to come through His Word and Him being the living Word. And so He looks and He feels this compassion for them. And what is He going to do? How, what is He going to accomplish? What is He going to go about doing? Because it grew late, it tells us in verse 35. And when it grew late, His disciples came to Him and said, I mean, remember, disciples probably at this point are a little agitated, I would just assume. <laughs> Like, if they're human like me, I think they would be agitated. Like, all right, Jesus, you said we were going to get to a desolate place. This is not so desolate anymore. (laughs) I thought we were getting alone time. This is not alone time. All right, you've been teaching, Jesus. Great, Great job again, as always. You're amazing. You're an amazing teacher. You've done it again. This is great. Can we just send the crowd away? It's over. All right, that's enough. We're exhausted. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said in verse 35, "'This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late.'" Send them away. Like, all right, everyone, on to your way. Go, be, be gone, all of you. We're tired. Verse 36, send them away to go into the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Listen, Jesus, we're all hungry, but like, okay, you've taught them, Jesus. Can you just send them away? We'll figure it out. They'll figure out their own food, um, and we can figure out our food, and everything will be great. <laughs> Jesus looks at them, 
Verse 37. It's hilarious. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> what do you think goes through the disciples' heads? I mean, we actually get to see what goes through their heads a little bit. But they're like, wait, okay, Jesus, you're, <laughs> you don't understand. We, you told us to not really bring anything with us, you know, on this journey. Like, like we even went when we were going from two by two into all these countries. You told us not to bring anything with us. You're like, we're to, the people are supposed to be feeding us, right? Like, they should be giving us food, not us giving them food. Like, we're serving them. They should serve us at this point. Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth? This is 200 days worth of wage of food just to get these people to eat some bread. They're like, we don't have that kind of money, Jesus. You see, we're not, we're not superstars here. We don't have lots of wealth and money. We don't have resources. You, Jesus, you know these things, right? You're Jesus. You know these things about us. We don't have anything. How are we supposed to do these? But what does Jesus say? He says, how many loaves do you have? Don't we get stuck on this? Don't, I think we go so get stuck on this. We think, well, God, like, why don't you do something? Or I, we need more resources. We need more. Th- I, I, listen, I am I'm very much guilty of this. I, I, it is so easy in ministry to think, oh, you need this and this, and you want to buy this, this item and this microphone and this music thing and this and that and the other. Like, we need these resources to accomplish the mission. And, and Jesus is probably looking at me like, are you kidding me, Eric? I don't need any of those things. You know, we tend to complain about what we don't have. We focus actually on what we don't have. Maybe we focus on our limited resources. But Jesus' asked question isn't like, hey, like, listen, see if you can scrounge up in the caves or something. There's, there should be enough food for everybody. Go find it. And let's make it happen. No, all he asks, he asks the question, he says, how much do you have? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, John tells us a boy who had his lunch, boy was smart, he brought his lunch that day, he's pretty smart, where his mom was, probably mom, probably mom, probably mom. And they go and see and they find out that they had five, can you imagine you walking up to Jesus, you're like, all right, Jesus, we found it. We have five pieces of bread and two fish. There you go. What are we supposed to do? We tried. (laughs) We found a little boy, and he was so willing to give what he does have. I, again, I can't help but think that they are exhausted. They're weary. They need rest themselves. And they're like, we don't want to have to deal with thinking about food. It's probably what Austin's been thinking this morning. <laughs> He's like, how, who's coming? Who's not coming? Who's getting pizza and not pizza? All those things, trying to figure out how much pizza to eat, to order. Here they're like, I just don't want to have to worry about these things. And so he says, they go and see, and they find the five and two fish. In verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And I want you to see, Jesus has compassion. He notices the needs of the people, and he's going to meet their needs. And what we see next is this provision. Look what Jesus provides and what he uses to provide for the people. He uses, all he needs is, he doesn't need anything. He can speak, and it's all done. He didn't need to use the disciples. He didn't need baskets. He didn't need that boy's fish or the bread. He could have just snapped his fingers and given them bread to eat, and it just showed up in their laps. Or he could have just said, boom, you're not hungry anymore. 
Guess what? You're good. Tomorrow you can come and eat tomorrow when you need it. He could have gone all kinds of ways, but yet he chose to use five bread and two fish to fulfill this. Why? He wants to provide, but how does he provide? He uses what we do have. He uses our resources, the things that we... He doesn't need our resources, but he chooses to use that. So when you're looking out at the the needs of the crowd, of the people, when you go to the mall, when you go to the the, the town squares, when you go uh, into Atlanta or you go to a ball game and you look around and you see all these people, do you have eyes like Jesus who looks and sees there's a bunch of people who are sheep without a shepherd? They're lost and they need to be guided. They need to be found. They need Christ. And so Jesus sees the need. He wants to meet the need and he even provides. But notice how he is providing. He provides through the little that this boy did have that day. And so Jesus gathers him. He's organized. For you people who are like to be organized, he organized them into groups of 50s and 100s. And notice this verse 39. I just think this is interesting. There's a lot of parallel with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit in, down in groups on the... Mark gives us the details, but it's quick and it's short. But notice what he says. He has them sit down in the, on the green grass. I, mean, I thought they are in the wilderness, but yet here they, they're out in a desolate, desolate place, but he finds he's like a good shepherd. He guides them to sit down in the green grass. Again, p- picturing us for us and mirroring what we see in Psalm 23. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and set a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And it tells us, and he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. Verse 42, what a, what a great word. They all ate and were satisfied. See, Jesus, when he provides, he satisfies. He, he gives more than enough always more than enough for our need. He satisfies, and here he gives them enough food to satisfy them. But I, I, this leads me to ask a question. We've been seeing the miracles, and I wanted to, I wanted to stop here for a second because um, Tim Keller, I, I've, I've quoted him several times over the, over the years, and um, I, he is someone who, who, listening to him speak on topics like this, on the miracles, really opened my eyes to this. Because if you ever ask the question, why does he choose to do the miracles that he does? Like, why this miracle? Why feed 5,000 people in this way? Why, why perform this miracle? If it's about power and showing I'm divine, I can do great things, then I think there's better ways of probably accomplishing that, right? Like, I mean, think about it. We, we are accustomed to Marvel movies. We're accustomed to all kinds of craziness. Like, if Jesus wanted to show power, what could he do? He could just start wiping his hands together, and all of a sudden, there's fire in his hand, and he's like, slings fire across the way, blows up a tree, and they're like, whoa, Jesus has power. Or he could go up to the cliff like like the devil when he was tempting Jesus. He could have gone to the Temple Mount, or he could have gone somewhere. He could have jumped off the cliff and watched as the crowd watched him. He's like, what? And he just stops himself right before the ground. He just lands, and they're like, whoa, Jesus has power. Why does he heal the sick? Why does he restore sight to the blind to show his power? Why does he turn five loaves of fish or five loaves of bread and two fish into a meal for thousands to show his power? 
If that's the only purpose of it to show, like, I'm God, look what I can do. I can even calm a storm. I think there's more. You see, why would Jesus do these things? He does these things, and I believe he does these things because the miracles Jesus performed were restoring creation. You see, they are a means of redemption. That's why I love the name Redeemer, because our Redeemer restores. He redeems. He he makes things new again. This is why Jesus came. For those of you that have children, you have the Jesus Storybook Bible. And Sally Lloyd-Jones describes this so well through that that little uh, devotional book for kids of showing how Christ is making all things new as he is restoring. Think about it. Hunger and exhaustion, they were not a thing in God's original design. When God created everything, there was no need for hunger. There was no exhaustion from work. There's no, there's no sin. There's, no, there's all the effects of the fall are now here. There was no sickness. There was no disease or poverty or death. That is not how God designed and created the world. No, see, Jesus comes, and it's a picture while he was on earth. Here comes God in the flesh on earth, walking among people, and he looks in his compassion, and he sees people who are hurting. He sees sickness, and this isn't how it was designed. This is not how I made my creation. Death, we saw with Jairus' daughter. Whether it was the leprous man who, who had been, or the, the woman who had been shunned because of her blood disorder, All of those things were not how they were meant to be. And Jesus comes to restore those things and to show the the way it was meant to be. And so he heals the sick. He restores sight to the blind. And even in this picture, he gives sustenance to these sheep who were without a shepherd. And so Jesus comes and his miracles They do two things. They point back to the original design. But here's the great thing. They also point forward to a new heaven and a new earth. That he's coming one day and to restore all things. He's going to make all things new. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there's going to be where righteousness dwells, where there is no more sickness, no more death, no no more pain and suffering. The effects of this world will be no more. And so when Jesus is on earth, here's the kingdom of God in, here's kingdom of God manifest in a person, Jesus, on earth, walking among people. And so when he's healing the sick, he's raising the dead, and he's feeding the the multitudes, he's restoring creation to its original design. He's showing a picture of that future hope. And so here Jesus is teaching, even through his provision, he's providing for their needs. The disciples, though, are like, well, that's great, you're providing for these people's needs, but I mean, we're weary, Jesus But did you notice what he did? He chose them to distribute. He said, here, you take this. Disciples go to this group, and another disciple goes to this group, and another disciple goes to this group. And he continues to use these disciples in ministry. It's a picture, again, that we see of the gospel. See, it's not the first and the greatest. It's actually the ones who are humble. The humility of Christ that we see in Philippians the lowering of ourselves as Christ, our King and our example, lowered Himself, humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, the way up is actually down. It's humbling ourselves. 
The disciples are in ministry. It is humbling. It is service. It is exhausting because what are you doing? You're putting the needs of others before yourself. And here they are weary. They're exhausted and they need rest. But guess what? There's a people who are lost without a shepherd and they need hope and they need help. And Jesus is going to use through his teaching, through his provision, and through the disciples, help this crowd see this. But sadly, if you read John 6, they don't. It's actually a very tragic end of the story, if you read all of John 6, a pretty long chapter. If you read it, what you see is sad. Actually, that day is when many, it says, stopped following Jesus. Why? See, these people were missing, and the disciples were even getting a lesson. You see, rest physically is necessary. We need rest. Jesus did design creation that way. With the seventh day, he rested. We're to rest from our work. We're not to just work, 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 work. We're not to do, do, do. We also rest, but they need something even greater than just physical rest. These people needed the ultimate rest that's only found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so here's the reality is Jesus is the ultimate rest. And he is providing that to these people. And it's a small glimpse, it's a small story, and it's a small phrase that can be easily missed, but I want you to see it. Look in verse 41. Jesus, when he took the bread, it says, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, what did he do? This mirrors what we're going to see as we get towards the very end of Mark. On the night that he was betrayed, what does he take? He took bread. He broke it and he said, this is my body, broken for you. And he blessed it, and he gave it to his disciples. See, here in this little story of the feeding of the 5,000, we get it even here. And he says, in taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and he broke the loaves and gave them to disciples to set before the people. You see, the only way that we can have ultimate rest, because guess what? These people are going to get hungry tomorrow. The next day and the next day, that is never going to finally and fully satisfy. Food is only good for the moment. Eventually, it's going to give you some energy, but that energy is going to go away, and you're going to need more bread, and you're going to need more food. And that's why Jesus in his teaching in John 6 teaches about that I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me, only me, can have life eternal, who will live forever. When he says, I am the living water. What does he say when he gives this amazing statement? He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. Because my, bur- my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. <laughs> this is Jesus describing himself, saying, I am meek and lowly at heart. Come to me, and I will give you the ultimate rest you need. This bread is only going to satisfy for today. But the picture is, this slight little picture is, a picture of what Jesus was going to do. He was going to be broken. And the only way that those people, us and those people and anyone else who puts their trust in Jesus could be set free from the penalty and curse and the power and the weight of their sin, they couldn't, that bread had to be broken. Jesus, as the bread of life, had to be broken. He had to pay the price for your sin. And because he died, we can live. You see, this is the rest that Jesus wants to actually teach his disciples. They were weary. They're exhausted from ministry. And they needed rest. 
They'll get it in time. But what they needed more to hear and what these people needed more, the compassion of Jesus, he recognized they needed more than just food. They need a lesson. They need to be taught. Where are they going to find rest? Where are they going to find comfort? Where are they going to find satisfaction? There's only one place to find it, and that is in the bread of life, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, this is the bread from heaven. You see, Jesus, in this story, there's so much symbolism, and there's so much to see in this passage. And really, uh, many have said over the years that there's really four big and bold, like, biblical echoes and, 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 and way we see things from the Old Testament to the New Testament in Jesus. And one of those is, is this, is that Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus here is feeding people with the teaching of God's Word. He's teaching these people, and He's calling them to repentance and faith. And even here, what is He doing? He's organizing the people in groups and all those things. Just as Jethro was teaching Moses and telling Moses, Moses, this is too much for you. You need to, you need to outsource these things. You need to delegate some of these responsibilities to people. And He organized those things, and they did it in an orderly way. But even this phrase, the sheep without a shepherd, that's something that Moses had said in Numbers when he was asking uh, for, for a successor. Who's, they need a shepherd to lead them. I'm not going to last forever. I'm going to go. I'm about to die. Someone else has got to take the torch and someone's got to lead these people. And the phrase he uses is, they're sheep without a shepherd. In Numbers 27, 12 through 23. And Jesus also, He provides rest in this desolate, desert place. Just as God was providing rest through Moses as they wandered and as He guided them or tried to guide them, but ultimately as God was leading them through the wilderness. Jesus is also the greater Elisha. You know, Elisha asked a servant to feed all the prophets with just 20 loaves in the Old Testament. If you could read the story in, in 2 Kings 4. He asked him, how, and, then the per, and then his servant asked him, how can, I, how, can I, how can I do this before these people? That's not enough food for 200 of these people. Elisha's response was, thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. Again, here we have a picture of Jesus fulfilling and being the greater Elisha. Also in Ezekiel 34, we get Ezekiel's prophecy uh, bringing a charge against the people because all the, the, they were not being they were the, the, the people of Israel the the scribes and the Pharisees the religious leaders were poor shepherds they were the blind leading the blind they weren't shepherding and they weren't doing what they should have been doing because there was no shepherd as Ezekiel thirty four tells us he promises a future king the son of David to come we also see as I was saying earlier Psalm twenty three Jesus is the great picture of this shepherd leading people to rest, leading them through the valley and the darkness and the shadows of death. All those things, Jesus is there to comfort us. We see these all through this story. But it's a story of Jesus saying, I am your ultimate rest. I and I alone can give you the rest and the food that satisfies. So come to me. That's the call this morning. It's come to me, all you who are weary heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for your soul, a future hope, a future glory, one that, we, that comes through faith in Christ alone. He is the great shepherd, the one who guides and leads us. He leads us 
to still water. He restores our soul. This is Jesus. This is the one that we see in this passage. Listen, this morning, if, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus alone, I would implore you to call out to him. He's very near. He hears your calls. He's calling you. He's actually calling you. He's wanting to call you, and he's calling you out. He's, he's wanting you to open your eyes to see the gospel and to believe in this wonderful truth of who he is and that what he can provide. Listen, it is our response. Respond to him. Respond to this call with repentance and faith. Repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus alone and experience life in his name. This is Jesus. And listen, if you're weary, you're exhausted, you're tired, maybe in serving, ministry, serving people, it is exhausting, it's tiring. Look to your Savior. He will give you rest. He provides. How do you get that kind of rest? Do you know how to get it? You get it through faith, trust. Rest is like when you can trust someone. You know what I'm talking about, right? If you're in a, a close marriage relationship or another relationship of close bond relationship, when you can rest, what are you doing? You're trusting that person. You can rest. You're like, I don't have to worry if they're doing this or doing that. I know this person. I believe in this person. Listen, that rest that Jesus provides, it comes through faith. As you put your faith in this perfect object of grace, you can experience rest from Him. And so, for Him or from Him. So, will you trust in Him today? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you invite us. You invite us to the table to, to, that, you, that your body was broken for our sins. As Isaiah the, the prophet declares with the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, by your stripes we're healed. You bore our transgressions. The weight of our sin fell upon you, but yet you call us and invite us to find a rest that lasts, that endures for all time forever and evermore. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the cost that he experienced, that he came, that he died, that he lived and died the death that we deserved so that we could have life forevermore. So Father, as we respond with this, this last song together of calling us to come, come all who are weary, come all, God, help us to come to you some of us sadly go to other things and other relationships or other avenues to get satisfaction or to make us feel better. There's this God-sized void that we keep dumping stuff in and it's just never being fulfilled because it's not meant to be that way. It's only when we're in right relationship with you. It's a hole that's only filled by you. So fill that, fill our needs and meet all of our needs for us. And we ask this in your son's name, amen.